I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... We at the Pillars of Franchising team would like to express our gratitude to Feedspot for listing us as number one in their 2023 list of top 50 franchising podcasts that you should listen to. Thank you from everyone here at Pillars of Franchising. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. My name is Kristen Chalmessi and we are glad to be back after a crazy month of June, being traveling on the road, vacations, et cetera, et cetera. We hope you all had a nice and safe, happy 4th of July. We've got a great show for you today. As you'll see on your screen, we will be chatting with the CEO of Dirty Dough, Bennett Maxwell. And with me today as co-host is Jerry Akers. Hey, Jerry. Kristen, how are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Hi, Bennett. Thank you for joining us. Excited to be here. Excellent. I'll apologize up front because I'm in my lake house and the sun is in the wrong place, so my head is blocking the sun so that we can have a decent picture here. So it's exciting to have uh, Bennett on the show. I've known Bennett for, I don't know, a year or so now, maybe a year and a half, and uh, we've had some great conversations, really enjoy hearing about his progress. He's an innovative, hard-charging, entrepreneurial young man, and I think our listeners and uh, the people watching will have a great time hearing his story, Kristen. Excellent. Bennett, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the cookie business? Yeah, I kind of stumbled into it. I have a background of door-to-door sales. Ouch. A <laughs> little, little bit of a different uh, category. But being in Utah, there's a lot of cookie companies out of here. Um, there's a company called Chip. Started these large gourmet cookies, then a year later, Crumble came along, and they started blowing up. So I had a buddy that started Dirty Dough in um, Arizona out of his apartment, and this was in November of 18. He yeah. posted to Facebook saying, I'm looking for an investor to open up, you know, go from his apartment to a storefront, so I invested, and then um, was encouraging him to franchise it. I wanted to be his first franchisee. I was living in San Diego at the time. and um, Anyways, Crumble's killing it. I think that started over $3 million. And I'm like, ooh, this is a great market. Let's franchise. And he said, nope, cookies, too much work. Don't want to do this anymore. I'm looking to sell the business. So <gasps> I thought, what the hell? I'm going to roll the guy <laughs> and go for it. So that was in January of 2021, about two and a half years ago. Um, but yeah, up, up until I bought the business, I mean, I invested 100% passive. Um, and I worked on shaved ice in high school for a summer. Other than that, no, no food, definitely no franchising experience. Wow. And you just went head first. See, I'm terrified of food because I haven't really, I mean, I oh, was a waitress and that kind of stuff, right? It's um, real cooking, but to be, go into food makes me really nervous. But from what I understand and what I'm learning about your brand is you don't really have to be in food to own a dirty dough, right? You don't have to have past food experience. Correct. I mean, and that was the whole model because the crumble model was, um, or is owner operated, you know, 
So, hey, move out of the state, go find a location, buy your own job. And so when I purchased Dirty Dough, the goal was, hey, if I can run it, and I'm in San Diego running a solar company, and if I can buy this cookie company in Tempe, Arizona, and run it um, without any food or franchising experience, then that's a pretty good model, right? There's a lot of other people that know how to run a business, but don't know how to make cookies, don't want to learn how to make cookies, and don't want to move to a different state. So how do you simplify everything? And that's what we've been working on. Um, you know, for the last the two and a half years, and I think we, we have a very simple, maybe even the most simplistic food franchise model that exists today. I, I have so many things that I like to point out and get Bennett talking about. And, uh, you know, one of them is I want to point out, and Bennett and I have talked about this before, because of the way he built his brand as opposed to some of his competitors, it makes it much more scalable, which allows investor sorts like those of us on this, on this call um, to be involved in it. You don't have to have food experience and you can own multiple units instead of being an owner operator. And Bennett has done a phenomenal job about that, but he's also, uh, you know, caught some flack from some of his competitors and, uh, you know, instead of, uh, you know, letting it get him down or something like that, he actually turned it into a, a hilarious advertising campaign. And I don't know if you've got any comments you want to make about that whole process, Bennett, but I, I, that yeah. was one of the first things that got me excited about your brand, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, how dare you put your cookies in a box? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was silly. It was a very silly lawsuit. We were being sued by Crumble before we even had a, a franchise open. So we had one little corporate store, zero franchises open, and, you know, Crumble's a billion-dollar company and suing us and calling out sprinkles. Vanilla, I mean, they had side-by-side pictures of vanilla ice cream. It's like, <laughs> I apologize that our vanilla white ice cream is white. I'm sorry. I don't know. Yeah, so it, was, it was a very silly lawsuit, so my reaction was a little silly. And, you know, we, we took it to social media. There was a news article that said, Crumble suing, you know, dirty dough. So I took a screenshot, posted it, and said, you know, like, what's, I forgot what I said. But, and it was, watch out, Granny, if you sprinkles, Crumble's coming for you because actually have sprinkled in the lawsuit. And, yeah. you know, it, I was serious because, like, if they're going to sue me for using sprinkled when I see grandma, but also it's a joke, right, because they shouldn't have sued us. That's a joke, and they, should, they shouldn't sue grandmas either. So we posted on that, and, uh, and then we kind of started some billboard wars. We posted some billboards. Um, Crumble's been around, you know, several years before us, and yeah. they never posted it to put up a billboard here in Utah because we're both uh, now in Utah, moved back to San Diego. And so we put up a few billboards, Dirty Dough coming soon. This was in May of last year. Then, and that's the month that Crumble sues us. In June of last year, Crumble puts legit like dozens of billboards on the same <laughs> corridor, you know, the same one main freeway in Utah. And then, and then in July, nothing happened with the lawsuit other than like, oh, whatever, they're suing us. Then when the news picked it up, then I'm like, okay, that's when I made that first post. Um, and I'm like, okay, we're gonna react to this lawsuit on billboards. So we did a handful of billboards that said, you know, let your taste buds be the judge. Cookie's so good, we're being sued. Um, and it had like an image of a cookie blurred out with the word censored on it. Uh, our cookies don't crumble with competition. We don't file off awesome. to make better cookies. Just stupid, silly, kind of taking some jabs out of them. I'm like, come on guys, this is a joke. And then, then we took a step further and we did some uh, videos surrounding the lawsuit and they did, the company that produced those for us did uh yeah, we paid professional actors to make fun of Crumble. So 
That's awesome. I mean, I read an article um, when this first broke out about how beneficial actually this lawsuit was for you because it brought your brand to the forefront of a lot of people who maybe never heard of dirty dough and now they're like hey what is this dirty dough thing that is so it's it's threatening crumble so badly that they have to sue them i mean that that's was exactly, like a blessing that's exactly and I, I, who knows the truth of, of why they sued us um but that's how the public perceived it it's like oh there's it was kind of like oh there's these two cookie companies competing we're yeah. not competing with crumble we got one store you know and they had several hundred stores. Now they're at like around 900 stores. We're at 28, so we're going quick. But it, it was like a one store versus a billion dollar company, but they put us on their pedestal, right? On the same pedestal. And it's like, oh, these companies are fighting. It's like, no, we're not on the same level. Not even close. But in doing, in suing us, I, I from the metrics that I've seen in the gourmet cookie space, uh, a, a year and a month or two months after they've sued us, they did make us into their biggest competitor, both in locations open and locations sold. We're now their biggest competitor, still very small compared to them. Um, yeah. But our start and our growth has um, been a lot quicker than, than Crumbles. Well, Bennett, I forget the number because it's been a few months since we talked about it. But like two months after all of the social media stuff and your, you know, actor-based videos started getting out, you had a monster month in license sales, if I remember right. Yeah, we did. No, I think the biggest month, maybe it was in October. Um, because, you know, the, the leads started kind of pulling in. We started getting some national attention and CNBC, Wall Street Journal, Good Morning America, things like that. And I think we had a month that we hit like 60-something yeah. stores that we'd sold. So now, yeah, in those 18 months since we franchised, or 19, 20, whatever it is now, uh, they're about 370. And then 28 of those have opened so far. First store opened uh, 13 months ago. So, yeah, we've opened up. We sold a lot, but opening up. Opening up 28 stores in a year is, is harder than selling. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> so let me let me ask you this because you know all the hubbub about it, David and Goliath, all these good little things that people are saying. But from your perspective, why do you think people are racing to open Dirty Dough compared to so many mm -hmm. other rest, uh, dessert brands that are out there right now? What is it about you? Um, simplicity and the team, probably in that order. So simplicity, looking at like uh, our model versus any of the other cookie companies that I've seen, you have a crumble that it starts with your ingredients. You're buying a 50-pound bag of flour through Cisco and paying, I don't know, 45, 50 cents a pound. We bulk order everything. We don't go through Cisco. We order truckloads at time and super sacks. We get our flour at 30 cents a pound. So you start with your cost of goods, it's much less. Then crumble, you have a much larger square footage, uh, square feet in your retail space. Because right. you have to store your own raw ingredients. Where what we're doing is we centralize everything. We mix a few thousand cookies per batch. We're a crumble or a chip or a crate, whatever these other companies. So mix about 65 cookies a batch. So you get a lot higher quality control while reducing your labor. And then again, now it's the quality control is on corporate, it's not on the franchisee. Then rather than weighing everything by hand and portioning it by hand and decorating with a half inch of frosting, we run it through a machine that gives us a much more unique product. We have the world's only three layer cookie, peanut butter dough on the outside, chocolate dough in the middle with an injection of hot fudge. And then we can also oh. do specialty cookies. Like right now we have the best protein cookie on the market. It's not healthy, but it does have 25 grams of protein and the best gluten friendly product on the market as well. And you're just looking at like a crumble with eight, 900 locations, you're not going to swab your store and you're not going to order all these ingredients, but because we have one facility where we mass produce everything and then ship it out to the franchisees, 
Now we can. So you save on labor, you save on square feet, footage, you save on build-out costs, equipment costs, and now you don't have to mix dough. You don't ever, you'll, I've never mixed a batch of dirty dough cookies and neither will any of our franchisees. It's just you get a cookie puck, put it in the oven, and press start. And that, I mean, you know, it's pretty simple. Um, and then the second part of that is the team. Early on, we got some good advisors in the franchise space. One of them owns Property Management Inc., which is the largest property management franchise. Um, another one has been franchising. He was the former CEO of Jimmy John's. Now he owns a fund that owns 10 franchise or brands, food franchise or brand. Another group um, owns, has owned about 15 franchise or brands, mainly in the service space. So that's five-star franchising. This other guy was Greg Majewski. Um, Steve Hart was the first guy I mentioned. Jill Summer Hayes has been our CEO since we started franchising. She's been CEO or founder leading a franchise or company for the last 40 years. She started her own company called Maui Wowie Smoothies and Coffee of the 1983. Grew it to over 650 open locations. So it's kind of sure. we're growing. We don't, I personally don't know what the hell I'm doing, but the team has a lot of experience. You know, between right. the team and a former VP of Domino that's opened up 2,000 stores that's honored, you know, one of our investors and lots of other high-level individuals. It's, hey, can we pull all these, this knowledge of opening up thousands of stores across several brands and shortcut the feed bumps that we typically run into? So, well, awesome. a couple of things just before we move off of that subject that really appealed to me as an investor uh, that Bennett touched on, uh, square footage much smaller than the footprint's much smaller. Anybody that's ever negotiated leases and and all that kind of stuff understands that turns into a lot of money every month. So anytime you have something smaller, that's great. Uh, the build-out cost, being a construction guy, you know, just the refrigeration equipment that you need for one of your competitors' brands as opposed to what you need for your brand. And the one that really got me, because this is one most non-food people worry about when they're buying into food, was waste, you know, and Bennett with your brand. Uh, as opposed to a competitor that's bringing in a lot of raw products, there's going to be some raw products go to waste. In your brand, very little on the front end goes to waste, if any. And also, your competitors at the end of the day have to throw away cookies. And you came up with an innovative way to make sure those cookies don't go to waste, right? Yes. So there's kind of, I looked at the three areas of waste, and it's the raw ingredient waste, the, oh shit, I messed up a batch, I have to throw away the whole batch. I mean, you have teenagers, right? Are you, yeah. are you scooping the flour? Are you patting it so there's no air bubble, but you don't want to compact it too much? Did you mix it too long with the butter at 70 degrees or 75? All of that will, will adjust your cookies. Um, so those first two areas of waste have been completely eliminated. Third area of waste was I throw away my cookies at the end of the night. Well, we can repurpose most of them. And we got chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream. And that's all we had to add to the store. And then you take a day-old cookie and you put it in a shake with ice cream, right? Or we do the dirty scoop product, which is you reheat the cookie, you put it in a cup with two scoops of ice cream and two toppings. And those toppings are the same ingredients that are already going on top of the cookie anyway. So oh my God, I'm hungry. Cookies, eight flavors, uh, and then eight flavors of cookies and two flavors of ice cream, there's 16 shake combinations at any given time and 16 dirty scoop products at any given time. And we only have to add two products and then we're yeah, getting rid of waste. So you'll see like on our ads, especially on Mondays, People, franchisees are due $2 off of a shake because you can even sell a shake for half off and still make a margin on it because you're, you're getting rid of your cookies over the weekend and boosting sales on a Monday, which is typically the lowest day. 
Oh my God, I'm glad I don't have a dirty Joe by me. I would have to go in every day for like 40 days to try all of these different combinations. Well, and another thing from a marketing standpoint, again, I just get really excited about this brand. Um, you know, there are people who don't necessarily want to buy your cookies every day, but a lot of those people love to have a shake or uh, your dirty scoop or whatever on the way home from work or for dessert at home after dinner or something like that. So in my opinion, you've broadened your potential uh, base of customers and you're going to have people that buy from you twice a day instead of once a day. So it's just, just brilliant. You say you don't know anything about it, but it's only the details. So I appreciate that. What what you do, what he does know is how to control the cost, right. And to drive margins and really, You know, Ben, I laughed before because you said, well, I don't know. That's why I have a CEO. And it's like, that's exactly what the idea is, right? Everyone should be working themselves out of the job they have. Yep. No, definitely a big believer in that. And not that I'm not going to work, but if I'm responding to a franchisee or the sales process or something else, I can't go kind of bigger picture and go pursue different activities that we're doing. Um, so, you know, right now we're working on some other projects, getting some celebrities involved and huge interest there and getting into event centers like the Raiders Stadium and the Houston Rockets, Dallas Mavericks. And those are kind of the things because I freed up my time on the day to day, I can kind of go pursue other avenues that are better for the brand. Right up to you said Raiders and then it lost. <laughs> hey, Bennett, one thing that I want to touch on, we only got a few more minutes with you here. Um, but the first time I heard you speak, this is something that really resonated with me. I think it means a lot to your franchisees. I think it means a ton to the communities that you're in. Would you talk a little bit about your mental health initiative and how that's implemented and how franchisees are involved in the communities, kind of some of that background? Yeah. Um, After exiting my solar business, I kind of took an inward look on and, and realized that all the hard work and putting time and relationships, family, health aside to one day have an exit and, and be happier was all baloney, right? If you get a dopamine hit and that goes away. So I kind of took a step back and, and developed my personal mission statement, which is now Dirty Do's mission statement. And it's all about finding joy and fulfillment despite life's dirtiness for myself and others, right? So, and the despite life's dirtiness is don't wait to sell your solar company. It has to be had on a daily or weekly basis. You can't wait to have a big exit. So if you want to have joy and fulfillment more often, where does that come from? And it comes from, a, a, it's a mindset or a mental health, right? So I really wanted to push that. And then we connected to the product by focusing on the inside of the cookie. Looking at the mental health crisis and the anxiety and the depression and the sadness, it's mostly attributed to expectations versus reality equals your you know, state of being, right? So if your expectation are, oh, I should be traveling because social media, all my friends are traveling, and I only see the good and not the bad. My expectation of my life is only good and not bad, but my reality is I have a low normal life. So that expectation gap is what's causing a lot of anxiety and depression and all that. So how do you bridge that gap by being more authentic and showing, hey, here's a cookie that has all the goodness packed on the inside. It's not decorated all pretty and perfect, but it doesn't matter because it tastes freaking amazing. So then we developed the tagline, you know, what's on the inside matters most. And before you enter in any of our stores on the window, it says in touch with our feelings, right? Cookie feelings. And then like on the back of this shirt, life is sweet. Um, and that's the foundation. So, so one is kind of the messaging, 
That's the first thing. On life gets messy, and that's okay. That's on one of our boxes, right? All the boxes have something different. And then number two was let's actually create a nonprofit to put our money where it balances. And let's go to K through 12 schools, and we're converting old classrooms into mental health wellness centers, calmness rooms, mind, mindfulness rooms, whatever the school decides to call it. But uh, there's two purposes of these wellness rooms. So every time we open up a franchise, we then will contact that school district and let them know that there's a grant available, that they, they can apply. They tell us what school, which classroom, all of that things. Anyways, and then we fund this wellness center form um, in the local community. And these wellness centers, kids can come in. And the first thing is identifying emotions. So they have a list of emotions, sad, happy, calm, um, anxious, depressed, whatever. And they are learning what emotions are, how to identify those, and then rating them on a scale from one to 10. Then they grab a timer, 10, 15 minutes, depending on the school. And then you're going to do different science-based activities on what could potentially help you regulate emotions, such as a guided meditation course or a breathing exercise or a coloring book or a gratitude card or whatever that is. So I'm coming into the room. I'm at an anxiety level seven. I choose guided meditation. I leave an anxiety level eight because I have ADHD and guided meditation did not work for me. Next time I come in, I'm going to do a breathing exercise, and that's easier for me to focus on my breath, and I leave an anxiety level seven. Now I've learned how to identify an emotion as well as what didn't work and what did work for me. So the goal is to open up one of those per franchise per year in the local community. So one is just the general messaging to everybody who comes into the store on, hey, it's okay if life isn't perfect right now. It's not supposed to be. Um, and then two, actually giving back and educating the youth of America. I think that's awesome, Bennett. Thank you so much. And we just love talking to franchisors who have set up a way for their franchisees to give back and really become a part of the community. I want to congratulate you because this week you guys have two new cookies coming out, the seven bar or seven layer bar is coming out. I was like, my mouth was watering as I'm reading your Instagram and a raspberry cheesecake cookie. So if any of you are out there, you're near Dirty Dough, I suggest you get right in and taste these delicious cookies. Um, quickly, I just want to go through um, what it takes for somebody to become a franchisor. What are you talking for cash? What do they need to have to come up with? How about how long does it take them to get their money back? Yeah, so I'd say our average store is probably opening it up for mid 200s. So franchise fee of 50,000, equipment of 50,000, average build out after tenant improvements are returned is around 110,000. This is based on I think we have about 85 leases signed. So it's based on, you know, a, a decent amount of stores. Um, and then opening inventory, signage, permits, tech, all of that is um, kind of rounded up of that. As far as initial investment, on this year, we didn't do an item 19 as far as uh, time to get it back because we only had, I mean, we had zero stores open for 12 months. And for me, I think I, I would rather talk to existing franchisees. So we do group validation calls every single week so people can see in real time, I talk with franchisees. I mean, I look at an FDV, especially with the economy and the recession that we're headed into, we're already in maybe. Yeah. And I see amazing numbers last year, but what are you guys doing today, right? And I think that's just a better way to do it anyway, is talk with existing franchisees and we have weekly calls with multiple, I mean, they can pick who they want to talk to or talk with multiple of them to get that uh, enough to be more updated information on top line revenue and it's coming from a franchisee, not from us. Very good, and I thank you for that. And um, just to correct myself, I said, what does it take to be a franchisor for a, a franchisee? Because a franchisor is a lot more than just that. And uh, I just want to let everybody know that you can sign, 
You can find more information on Bennett as well as Dirty Doe at our website at PillarsOfFranchising.com. We'll have all of his contact links on there. Bennett, we really appreciate your interview today and we can't wait to see. I know you've got a busy year ahead of you with more openings probably than you can count on two hands. So good luck to you with that and we look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having Good me. seeing you, buddy. Likewise, Jerry. Take care. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvinewithay.com. Andrea, welcome back. We've been missing you. Uh-oh, you're on mute. Well, gee, one day I'll stop being the rookie. Um, it's nice <laughs> to be back. I'm sorry, somebody is mowing their lawn right at this moment. I hope it's okay. <laughs> it usually happens at my office, but I can't hear it, so hopefully our listeners can. Okay, okay. good, good. Hey, did you know that you, okay, so first of all, talking to him made me so hungry, and I've been doing so good without eating sweets, and I'm like, oh, my God, these stuffed cookies. I was doing some research on them before the show, and if you're just having a craving like me, providing they're in your area, you can have them delivered from Uber Eats or Grubhub. I don't want to know that information. <laughs> that's, 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 that makes it far too easy, but oh, I'm, I'm like, so okay. I'm just, I know. Yeah. Oh, mm, okay. So anyways, let's talk about this though, because he really has a big challenge. Not only has he grown exponentially just in the last year or so, but he's got a lot of franchisees he's got to get open. You yeah. are a franchisor, a franchisee, a founder. What are you thinking about some of the challenges that he faces? Well, I mean, first of all, he checks all the boxes in terms of what I think is step one in terms of considering whether or not you even have something that's franchisable. But if I can just take a step back, I think it's so impressive to me that um, it's hard to sell that many locations, first of all, and then it's, it's hard to get that many open. There's so many franchisors that sell, 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 getting them open is a whole nother thing. And to do 28 in a year in your first couple of years of business to begin with is, is just, incredible. And, and so, um, you know, what I heard that I think is really worthy of mentioning um, is when, when businesses are thinking about becoming a franchise or they want to grow using that strategy, they really have to understand whether or not they have something to franchise to begin with. And, you know, it's, it's a tough conversation because a lot of businesses, they, they just don't, or they need to refine what they have. And I think, um, you know, they really check so many of those boxes. So maybe we can kind of get into a little bit of that today, if that's okay. 
Yeah, I would love to because, you know, as I said, I've been doing some research and I actually started researching him months ago for a candidate that I had. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't work with consultants. So I was like, okay, well, I can't really get what I need from them. And then today, you know, I read even more information. I'm thinking, how are they possibly going to do this scale with all the supports in place? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you can't just have a good business. And I think that, you know, this is such a great example of checking so many boxes because obviously there's a good business. It's a product people want, they want to buy. Um, you can't just have a good idea or, you know, sometimes you see companies that have good branding and good branding can attract a lot of people. But if you don't have something that's truly franchisable, what happens is that you've got candidates that go all the way through your process and they get to the end and they think to themselves, there's really no barriers to entry here. I could do this on my own without paying that $50,000 franchise fee, without the royalty, without the brand fund. And so if you don't have something that is really distinct, that someone can't go and do on their own, Um, And they certainly do in his case. I mean, they've got the product. They've got a proprietary way of making the product that eliminates a lot of the pain points that happen from an operational standpoint. Um, They've got something that's replicable and that is seemingly attractive to so many different markets. And I think a lot of the time we fall in love with our business because it works where we live or it works in our sort of network of people that we spend time with. But a lot of products don't make sense in other communities. Um, I think cookies are pretty universal. And so he's done an amazing job at finding a way to make a universal product that is, you know, something that everyone loves and making it distinct. There's the three layer element to it, but that's just from a consumer standpoint. He's also done something for a franchisee to be attracted to the waste elimination, the systems that don't require, as Jerry mentioned, all of the um, refrigeration and all of the, you know, systems that are required to run that and that drive up the build-out costs. So um, I think that, you know, it checks those boxes in terms of working in multiple markets. Um, I think really winning concepts have a little bit of pivotability And I heard him say that, you know, they've solved some issues around waste with making and promoting products on certain days of the week. Milkshakes are probably really attractive in certain markets more so than others, where maybe warm cookies might be more attractive. And so that ability to kind of pivot within the product line is really valuable. And I think that, um, you know, I'd love to have one up up here in Canada. But (laughs) I I think, you know, the other really sort of key element of a winning franchise concept is having, um, you know, having, having a product that you can sell to your franchisees. You can control that distribution. You're not totally reliant on a supplier to provide product to the franchisees. And you're, you're sort of stuck if there's a, a supply chain issue, um, just having that ability to control that to some extent and control the quality is, is really, really valuable, but it also strengthens the financial position of the franchisor. And, you know, franchisors that have a strong financial position have the ability to really support those franchisees, get them open, bring, you know, really important talent 
to the table. Um, so I just feel like this is such a great case study in checking all of those boxes and in making sure that before he even started, he had so many of these things considered. If there was one area of uh, support, improvement, advice that you would give to someone like Bennett, what would it be? Um, you know, it's hard because I don't, I haven't spent a ton of time with understanding exactly how the operations work, but one of the things that I've seen a lot in the work I've done as a franchisor, working with other franchisors, whether they're big or small, is having like just really solid operations management systems, as well as having like really strong learning management systems. And I don't mean Google Drive. Google Drive is okay to a point, but there's, there's suppliers that can provide tools to really simplify how you can roll out these practices. And I think um, some of the time what happens with systems is the selling part comes first because they really want that revenue from the franchise fees. But if they don't have the operations in place, it does really collapse. So you can get to a certain amount of units, but if that's not really, really solid, it's a house of cards. And it's not that it can't be solved. It's just hard to build the rocket ship as it's flying through the air. So, you know, I, I don't want to say you should have everything perfect because you'll never have it perfect. A system is an evolving process. Things you grow, you need to keep adding to that rocket ship and, and make it better and faster and, and more efficient. But you definitely have to have these things considered. An, an operations manual is not the same as your corporate training manual. That is almost, to some extent, a legal document. So, you know, a lot of those things have to happen before you start selling. And I see a lot that people try to do them in tandem and it, it really can backfire because if you have unhappy franchisees, you're not going to get more past that 100 unit stage. And I think um, I'm, I'm not saying that's where this concept is at. I haven't had a look under the hood, but I, I think it's common. Um, when there's a high growth without time to build that infrastructure. Absolutely. Thank you, Andrea. I love your perspective on it. Andrea, thank you. Thank you very much for your time this week. We love having you on the show. We're so glad to see that you're back. Thank you. We'll chat with you soon. 50 graduates resulting in seven new franchisees owning eight franchise brands, more than a dozen skilled graduates who are employees of franchise companies, all of them having earned a concentration in franchising exclusively granted by the Titus Center at Palm Beach Atlantic University, plus more than 80 franchise professionals on our advisory board, the Titus Center for Franchising is on fire in West Palm Beach, Florida. What do you need to join us? My students want to hear from you. They may even want to buy your franchise or work for your company. TitusCenter.com. Yay. How are you? Great. Happy, happy July. Thank you. It's been a while. It has. Oh my gosh. Going, taking a month of, you know, just running the pre-records that we did while they were fresh shows for everyone. Um, it's really hard to come back after that time and kind of get your head back in the game. 
Exactly. But it's fun, too. It's exhilarating. It's, 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 it's one of the best parts of my week. Yes. Well, so now here we have this great interview with Dirty Dough Cookies. And, you know, we had talked about them on the show uh, on one of our Word on the Street segments when we were talking about this this lawsuit and kind right. of laughing about the cookie box and things. <laughs> but now we got a, a bigger, deeper look at the brand and what they're trying to accomplish. And from a standpoint of leadership and training, what are some of the things that you're thinking as we reviewed uh, Dirty Dough today? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I loved it that, you know, we're taking a look holistically. Andrea was talking about the product, the process, the system, all, all that's so important. And then, then as we take a look at the people side, because you know me, I'm all about that people side. And you can even have all that in play, all, all the product, the systems, and everything in place. But if we don't attract the right people, especially with high growth markets, emerging brands, it's making sure that they've got the right people. Not only not only the franchisee side, but also the franchisees making sure they hire the right people. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have that in place, um, you're not going to experience the growth that you want. Right, right. And so what are some tips to that? Um, when you look at emerging brands that have these amazing growth uh I don't want to call them episodes, but these growth patterns. And, and clearly, Dirty Dough is not slowing down anytime soon. Right. So what are some of the key positions or elements that you would look at and advise someone? Well, you know, when I take a look at, at, at hiring the right people to come along, um, there I always look at attributes, making sure when you've got the right people. There are really kind of four key things that I, that I always recommend to, whether it's franchisees, small businesses, to make sure you've got into place, or even franchisors making sure when they're, they're um, having, you know, when they're vetting franchisees to look for. So the first one is, you know, I call it strong self-management and making sure that, that the, the strong, the, the self-management piece, it's, I, I have that initiative. I've got that desire. You know, I want to make sure that I can do this on my own. I don't need a right. lot of guidance. Because yeah. if you think about an emerging branch, you're not going to get a lot of that guidance sometimes. So that I have that, and I've got that that desire to make sure that I'm accountable. I'm going to hold others accountable. Uh, I'm not scared of of those those high the high growth goals, and I'm just right. going to go for it. I would think that it is probably easy potentially for someone to get overwhelmed when they walk into a company and these are the growth plans. I mean, when you say, okay, we have, you know, three or four corporate locations and we've got, you know, 30 of them sold for the next lot of businesses and those need to be done in a year. And on the heels of that, we've got another 40 sold. I mean, that's a pretty daunting job for someone to do. It it Um, is. When that, and that's why, and there are certain people, you can find this through interviews, through, you know, through assessments, you can find there are certain people that are drawn to that. Yeah, it's, yeah. In, it's in their DNA, and and those are the ones that you want to make sure you're drawing to this because they'll be the most successful. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, anything else that you would like to offer us as advice to our friends over at Dirty Dope? So, um, gosh. Well, advice would be, again, and it seems like I loved it. Then it's already on the train of getting the right people. I love yeah. it. Because I've got this person, that person, that person. And I love that. So the advice would be making sure that um, he's, he's done that on a franchisor level, just mm-hmm. making sure that providing the guidance for the franchisees to make sure that first they're getting the right 
type of franchisee and then working with them to make sure they're attracting the right people. Because as we've talked about before, people are the brand. They're the ones that are representing the brand at the end of the day. When people go into the stores, that's what really counts. Yeah. The one thing that I had thought about, and, you know, I understand as an emerging brand and, and really as any business owner, it's difficult to get ahead, so to speak, in, in say, your hiring or your planning. And we certainly had to do that in my business as well. But knowing that all of this is coming up, I would think they're always hiring and yeah. they're looking ahead, not to what I need today for these, you know, 30 stores, but what am I going to need next year for another 40 on top of that. And all of a sudden I've got 70 stores in the year after that, I'm at 150. And so you, you have to kind of plan how soon do you bring on your corporate training teams to help support those, not only existing 30 or 40 businesses, but the next 30 or 40 and the next 150, right? Because you don't want to wait where your franchisees are learning the process, the system, the culture at the same time, the brand, the corporate you know, employees are. So Agreed. I think that's the real, it's, it's a double-edged sword because you don't it always is. have the money to do it. But if you don't do it, it's going to cost you in the end because you're going to have dissatisfaction, right? Exactly. And and I found that um, I have a friend who, who bought into an emerging brand and they did not spend the money resources into training. And then what happened is that he kept looking for the wrong people he wasn't as trained properly and yeah. he, he was, he was getting, he was getting really stressed out because he felt yeah. like he was losing money. Didn't have, didn't, was not meeting his growth goals. Mm-hmm. Felt like he wasn't supported. And so then once you start going down that, I call it like the negativity train, right? Yeah. When you yeah. start thinking negatively about the franchisor, it's, it's hard to get that back. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it starts this negative culture with the other franchisees. So to me, I find it to be a critical part early on. And you can build out on, okay, what do we do? You know, level one, level two, level three, level four. You don't have to go all the way at first, but making sure that you've got those plans into place and some of those mechanisms into place pretty early on. Yeah. I would have to say if I were looking for uh, a franchisee for him, it would have to be somebody who is used to working in a real moving and shaking environment, somebody who's high energy, good with following the rules and procedures and policies, but maybe also able to step back and look at the bigger picture to where things can or may have to be tweaked for those big growth spurts. So I think it'll be really interesting. I'm super excited to see where they go. And uh, I, I think it's great that, you know, this lawsuit has really helped them sell their brand by getting the name out there. Right. Well, and this is where they turned um, something into um, something that could have been really Lemon negative. Lemonade, yeah. right? I call it, and, and another key thing is <laughs> adaptability and resilience. Yeah, that's yeah. That's where that comes in. So it's not like, oh my gosh, we're getting sued. This is happening. It's like, how could you know? In what ways can we turn this around? What yep. can we do to make it good? And again, that those are key qualities of what you need in a franchisor and a franchisee. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jen Kinsey Ford with Dale Carnegie. We appreciate having you on the show today as always and look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you. And I'd like to let you all know some exciting news that we are now officially on the app Audible. So if you're like me and you like to fall asleep listening to stories at night, check us out, Pillars of Franchising on Audible. 
And thank you all for joining us on the show today. And thank you to um, Bennett Maxwell of Dirty Dough. We appreciate our million dollar mentors, Jerry Akers, Andrea Mundy, Ray Pillar, and Karen Kimsey Ford for the continued commitment and insights. You guys are truly wonderful to work with. Thank you to Laura Liss, our franchise lawyer. And last but not least, a shout of thanks to our chief data and producer, Fred McMurray. I am Kristen Shalmetsi, your fifth franchising mentor, and together we are your resource for franchising success. And remember to join us again next week at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, because the dream starts here. Have a great week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.